Welcome to Finding Fit, a podcast by three best friends and business partners. We're holding nothing back, and we apologize in advance. I'm your host, Angela Beeler. And I'm your host, Katherine Ballas. And I'm your host, Emily Field. So grab a cup of coffee, take a shot of whiskey, or pour your favorite glass of Prosecco. And join us for a conversation about finding your place in this crazy world. And this. Is finding fit. <laughs> that was good. That was a 100% improvement, even though it was still wrong. How does Lady Gaga like her steak? Ra, 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 ra. Roma, roma, ma. Okay, check, check, check. For me, I feel really loud. Asking HQ to turn the Asking air now bring the nations to you. Nope. Okay. I knew that song. Oh Lord, that's the cry of my heart. heart. Distant shores and the islands will see you. Part your light. <laughs> Bart. I, I was trying to rhyme with heart. It was, let's keep playing this game. It's fun. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Fill in the blank. Did you feel the Mountains tremble. Mm-hmm. Oh. Very good. Very good. Like, wind. How about <laughs> wind? <laughs> wind. <laughs> okay. As the deer panted for the water, so my soul <laughs> belongs to thee. Longeth after thee. It's, you a, it's a song. Are my heart's desire, and I long. To worship you. They get the pastor and they're singing worship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, here's another one. Josh, um, get ready for this. This one might be one. a little bit harder. Lord, prepare. To be a sanctuary. Oh, wow. <laughs> Me. To be a, a sanctuary. sanctuary. And then echo. Sanctuary. <laughs> sanctification. <laughs> and then, okay, here we Pure go. Pure and holy. Yes. Tried and true. Okay, how about this one? Um, you are my strength when I am weak. I sing that to crew every night. You are my all that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, jewel, jewel. Yeah. I'd be a fool, fool. You are my all in all. Okay. Praise the Lord. Oh my soul. Oh my soul. Praise you Lord. are so off key. Oh, I know. Okay. I'm not trying. <laughs> I can't even recognize it. Hey, so that would off be a really key. good effort for me. So you should. Okay. Uh, you want me to try? Okay, here we'll go more old school real quick. Um, Do you want me to finish it this time, or is this for you to sing? No, this no. <laughs> I'm don't having trouble hearing Josh. You are. Uh huh. Can in my you mic. hear me better now? Okay, here yes. we go. He, I'm gonna he, have to make out with the microphone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a giveaway. What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I fall? Britney Spears. No. <laughs> that's not DC talk. DC talk. Bra. Yeah, that's right. Dare you to move? Switchfoot. Uh-huh. So that's oh, the album. Oh, that was 95 ish. No, yeah. 2005-ish. Yeah, it was good. That was a good song. Um, I think we brought this up in a previous podcast. Dare You to Move was a song, either that one or one very similar, that I sang the solo for on the mission trip Is in that, Africa ooh, in 2005. I love that. Switchfoot also did uh, so much more, right? Uh, that song? We were meant yeah. to live for so much the, uh, more. Do you remember the Invisible dun, Children dun, dun, campaign? Dun, dun, dun. Yes. That was their song they used. Ooh. That was a little bit of a show. <laughs> do, you, do you remember like the unraveling of the Invisible Children campaign? I stopped following. All I know is that oh. um, two things. One, they got an Oprah. 
Yes. And they were in our church like a year earlier. I'm Same. like, wow, what a rise. Yeah. Wow. Didn't the other thing is Aaron Rodgers tweeted about getting Coney at one point. And I'm like, whoo. They got oh, Aaron wow. That is, that's some br- big influence. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I hate to speak, like, I think like the founder was on TMZ running around California yelling something crazy at someone at some oh, point. Oh, yeah. I oh, think okay. I heard that. Maybe that's without what I was, his pants on or shirt on or something. That's, that's Wondering what, about um, unraveling. nonprofit work will do to you. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> is, that, is that what being a pastor is like? I'm close. Yeah. <laughs> is that what happened to Jerry Falwell? Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good turn. <laughs> well, no, you just said running around without <laughs> his pants, pants on. on. <laughs> and Oof. I think there was something. There, there was a natural... That was a lateral movement of thought. Yeah, that was. Good job. Thanks. Yeah, I'm terrible at transitions, apparently, Mm -hmm. so... Who's saying arms wide open? Creed. Creed. Not Christians. Creed. They weren't? No, they, they were. They were. No, they were not. Every Christian in the world thought they were because they were like, when arms wide open, it's <laughs> no. clearly Jesus. It is not. It came out as something like a biography of no, some sort. Scott, never. That is, fact check that. Guarantee you that at the time, the lead singer of Creed was not a Scott Christian. Scott Stapp, full on pagan. Also, Lifehouse, though. Yeah, the Christians. La- Christians. With I'm falling even more in love what was with other one? you. Oh yeah. Lifehouse. Not Every, Christian. N- yes, Christian. No. They had another really popular one that was whiny, like you're all I want. You're oh. all and there were all I these need. Christian skits to it. Oh yes. Where the guys Every. like fighting to hold on to Jesus, but the devil's Oh, no, no, that him. one is to um, turn around every no, now no, and then. No, 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 no. No, there, there, there are a lot of um, Christian Christian dramas to everything by Lifehouse. You're all I want. Yes. Well, You're that was after my time. Emily, you can't find that Chris You're is a Christian everything. because he's not. I think Hawk I Nelson. found an article. They came out and said, we are not a Christian band. Correct. Because bands, whatever, have a specific agenda. We have no agenda. But he specifically, talking about himself, said, I am a Christian. And some of their lyrics have Pop Nelson. Did you find that on to Christianity Today? <laughs> is Scott Stapp you're still I've already on? swiped out of the article. I'm not going back. It was back. Scott Stapp, lead singer yes, of Creed. Stapp. That's the only name I know. I said it 13 times. You did. I heard you the first time you said it. Sorry. Okay. So before we get started, one thing we need to know about what we have been starting about Josh and about us right now is that we all have a particular beverage in our hand. It is 1140 a.m. on a Friday. So it is happy hour somewhere, but it is Mountain Dew hour here. And so Angela, Emily, and myself are all going to partake in our first sip of Mountain Dew, probably since for me, since 1993. Yeah, I was going to say Josh, fifth grade uh, cafeteria. It's Mountain Dew because, Josh, you have an obsessive infatuation with Mountain Dew. How many do you say that you drink on a week, in a week? Seven. One, one, one a day. A day. You've, well. Let's be honest here. Well, um, okay. If we're going to do it by ounces. Oh, just honesty. Like, yeah, how yeah, many? Okay, we'll, we'll say 14. 14 ounces Mount, a day. No, 14 Mountain Dews a week. Two a oh, day. Oh, so two a day. Yeah. Okay. Like in a can size or a 20 from, ounce bottle? How'd you bottle? go from seven to 14? <laughs> <laughs> well, I added it one every day. <laughs> Sometimes I only have one though. Okay. But so maybe more like 12. Because in the evenings, I try and drink water with dinner and then, you know, I'll have an after dinner drink. And what after dinner drink? <laughs> <laughs> Mountain uh, Dew and 
Uh, Whiskey? You know, I, I'm to the age now. I Somebody told me you have to kind of get off the, the dark liquids to the clear ones. You sure. So I've uh, been doing a little more of the rum and Cokes. Oh, okay. Diet Cokes. A little sweet. Yeah. Is rum clear? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, you can get dark that. rum as well. Okay. Yeah, if you're a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. Why is all the rum gone? Yeah. So we're here uh, going to do this. I feel like my urine will be this color yeah. if I drink too much. This is a regular Mountain Dew. It's not diet. It's not the new like electronic green one. It's just the regular. So Josh. Oh my gosh. We're toasting I haven't to had a soda in years. Really? No, I don't like them. Well, there we go. Uh, okay. I hope they got here that we go. smacking in the mm. uh, Did you just get saved? Wow. <laughs> I, I see the light. Saved? I see the light. <laughs> you can you can tell why I drink it now. Woo! Oh my gosh. It right, tastes flat. Right after a donut too. Mm. Oh, that's the way to do it, huh? But like I think sparkling water has more carbonation. Yeah. yeah. I think Mountain Dew's been cutting back on COVID well, is what Josh said. <laughs> yeah, the bottle is not cuts, full. Yeah. Carbonation machines, <laughs> other <laughs> things. Did I see on Instagram that, that there was a Mountain Dew shortage? Is that that was, no. Well, that's my wife, Mellow Yellow. Okay. So that was okay. one of my questions, Mountain Dew or Mellow Yellow. For me? For you. You know, I actually probably do. I go back and forth. They say the palate changes every seven years. <laughs> and um, I think I'm back into. Who is they, by the way? The experts. When, <laughs> when we the say gastro, they say. The gastrointestinal experts. Of, <laughs> the internal medicine doctors. <laughs> the Lord. Yeah. The Lord. They. Yeah. they the Trinity. Right. Said. All three. But, um, I think, but Mellow Yellow is hard to get. And your very own Erin Mayer saved my marriage. And um, she found like 20, 12 packs of Mellow Yellow that she brought across the state line and smuggled no into Texas. Coca stopped distributing to Texas. What? Yes. Forget Coca-Cola? Or just Mellow Yellow? Just Mellow Yellow. But there is also an illuminate shortage. So you will yes. notice with other beverages you may like, that the non-essentials are being cut and you can only find them in plastic There's bottles. There's a what shortage? Aluminum. Well, I try not to drink Yeah, probably about time. Anyway. Yeah. It's a, it's a COVID logistical problem. Yeah. Okay. That may clear up soon. Who knows? But this is aluminum sparkling water, so that could be bad for us all. We, you know, the, what we know is that Mountain Dew is sustaining Josh Carney, so <laughs> it's doing something right. Is there a mechanism you can watch on your podcast how far in people listen before they quit? <laughs> there is you on YouTube. YouTube. There is. Well, there is on yeah R and R. Because uh, this might be service. the last time you ever have me. Oh. Thank you for that moment, by the way. That was very. You're I feel welcome. Like we need some so com- welcome. It, it, it did. It felt like hey, we're all doing something together. Yes. We're doing the do. How we have kind of formatted today is um, is when, that no one knows what's going on except for Catherine, which is <laughs> unusual. Sit. Multiple voice No, sex? no. I mean, I know what we're doing <laughs> contextually, but I don't specifically. Okay, great. Well, I like um, spontaneity. Yeah. Cheers to the Cheers. Seven, <laughs> uh, so how, kind of how we did our ACE interviews where we asked each other questions, I thought it would oh. be helpful for um, people to meet Josh and for us to be asking him rapid fire questions. And we'll even do kind of some burning questions, any theological questions okay. that we personally might want answered um and josh is here uh to help us answer those because as we will find out momentarily he is uh mine and angela's pastor emily's friend friend. the thing is is that correct me if i'm wrong josh but aren't true pastors always (laughs) pastoring yeah they're not just pastoral in the church we're all part of the free church tradition so we're brother and sister in the lord okay (laughs) which is just as and you know maybe i'm like the staff psychologist 
who doesn't have a degree in that, but just comes to give pep talks. Christian, Christian counselor. Yeah. There you go. That's what I am. Okay. Unqualified Christian counselor. Okay. Self, self-appointed. Like most. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I, I kind of have organized this. I can start off. I have a couple of rapid fire for him. If you guys have any. I'm trying to find the rapid fire that I did with you guys. Because um, those would apply here. Yeah. Yeah. There and are then, some rapid fire questions you asked each other that can't apply to me. That's true. Right. I I will edit this. And then, Josh, I do want people at some point, to. we want to hear about you. I think it matters to our listeners to know, for them to know you a, a similar way that we do. Okay. And so we, while they're looking, let's just go ahead and do that. I got it. Okay. Right. Nope. Jo- <laughs> but wait, no, no, I'm no, sorry. I don't mean I'm, I got it. I found them. Okay. Josh, this is the first thing that comes to your mind. So I can't, I can't take time to think. No, we're not looking for right answers or correct answers. We're looking for impulsive, instinctive answers. I can do that. Okay. Number one, bath or shower? Shower. Coffee or wine? Neither, but wine if I have to. Massage or facial? Neither. Don't touch my body. (laughs) (laughs) Beach or mountain? Mountain for sure. Read or write? Oh, I love them both so much. I think right. if you I'll only do one the rest of my life, right. Okay. <laughs> I guess leggings or sweatpants don't apply to you. <laughs> no, <laughs> leggings for sure. Um, I'm going to omit big boobs, big butt. Okay, bad breath or body odor? <laughs> like which one I'd rather if you omit? you had to have one. Hmm. It's terrible, bad, uh, body odor. Okay. Angela, Catherine, or Emily, your favorite. <laughs> All of you the same. No. <laughs> saw your eyes go up and to the left. I saw, I saw his eyes. <laughs> Why would you do that? I actually do that to people all the time. I saw his eyes go towards Catherine. No, you guys, you guys get each I other. I talk to Catherine the most. Y'all get each other on a, on a level that I can't play at. At so. a contemporary Christian music level. And maybe don't actually want to. So. Well, okay. I, can, I connect with you. <laughs> just because you didn't you glance while you were thinking. Did you hear that? Yeah. We just got pushed out of her circle yeah. no, a layer I, further. No, no. It's it is cerebral at times, and it, it's very philosophical. Oftentimes, when I'm in the middle of y'all, she's now convincing herself why she doesn't care that she's Josh's favorite. Angela, I connect with you at the why do we need emotions level. Okay, yeah, right. So therefore, do we need people? Um, <laughs> not a bad follow up. Okay, <laughs> all right. These are not rapid fire, but I will give you some time to think because okay. they're a little bit bigger. What is the biggest misconception of you? Oh, that one I sh- you should have told me to prepare for. But um, what is the biggest misconception of mm-hmm. me? That's it doesn't have, I mean, don't think too much. Just what is a misconception, not biggest? A. That I, I probably that I'm more confident than I am. Mm-hmm. I get more insecure as I get older. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, is, that would be a misconception because I would not have picked that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt like 17, 18 was like, Two good years. Like 17, 18 years old? Yeah. Oh, that was the... The th- prime. The apex. Yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Agreed. Um, who Big wear- fish and little pond. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> who, who wears the pants in your family? Oh, especially in my family, my wife at home. Okay. It's, Fill in the blank. I am jealous of... Um, everything. <laughs> Jonathan Reynolds. He, the model? Well, he did that too. He... <laughs> He, he, he's written children's books. That's why. But he's such a good life. In Waco? Yeah. Jonathan Reynolds, Emily. I know. The Calvin Klein model? 
Well, li- yes. just listen to all what we said. Children's writer, Kelvin Klein model. Uh, the only reason I'm attentive to that answer is because I'm doing Julia Cameron's Artist Way in one of the sections. Me is, too. Yes. So you get to this, like, people who are doing so, and he had just written his first Monster Street book, mm-hmm. and that is what I would love to be doing. And okay. he did, like, this whole fire belly thing where he, like, just went on adventures and attached philosophical meaning to being outside. I'm like, what a great life. Like, eat, pray, love. Yeah. But for a guy. You, yeah. you're ju- you would want to write children's books? Well, I, I'm, I'm writing one. Not like his is a little, it's young adult. Mine's probably a little older than his. But of all the things you could write, you want to write children's books. I have. I've I did on. not notice about young you. adult okay. fiction. Yeah, 100,000 like, 100, words I've got done. Okay. I love that. I love knowing that about you. Angela would love to read that. By the way, if Jonathan Reynolds ever listened to this, this would be so awkward for me in the future. Well, he might. Okay, so well, I'm gonna, we're well, going to cut a clip and send it to him. I don't him. think I struggle with jealousy, though, either. It's not a, I, it's Emily said the same thing. It's really easy for me to cheerlead everybody else's success. Yeah, thanks for that. Okay, <laughs> um, uh, I only have a few more, and then I'm done. Something you believe that most people don't. Mm. Oh, by the way, Emily, uh-huh. your answer of <laughs> the dinosaurs? <laughs> I was going to the Leviathan. That's what I was going to ask. No, uh, I just love that. That was your answer. Uh, that was probably one of the most entertaining of those three first podcasts. <laughs> you should write a children's book about a little girl who says, I don't believe in dinosaurs to her classmates. Okay. And her name is Limily Leald. <laughs> <laughs> Family Eald. Yeah. <laughs> what do I believe that most people don't believe? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I tend to be a, kind of a politician about my beliefs so that I can. I'll come back to it. I'm okay. not. I'm not giving up. I just got it. First thing you do in the morning. Um, start changing the two toddlers I got to take to school. Mm-hmm. You don't look at your phone. No, you don't, not anymore. You yeah. don't open your Bible. I do not do that first thing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's I've, all I I've got. hidden the word in my heart. Okay, that's good. That sounds all It's always with you. Yep. Your turn, Kevin. Okay, yep. I'm going to go quick. Mellow Yellow or Mountain Dew? Mellow Yellow. Okay, Big Ten or Big Twelve? <laughs> Big Ten. <laughs> <laughs> if you could have a lifetime supply of one item, food, drink, whatever, backpacks, what would it be? Mellow Yellow. I was going to say, I bet it's Mellow Yellow. <laughs> For Lindsay. Well, me too, then. There's not a shortage. I can drink it as much as I want. She doesn't let me drink it right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Barbara Brown Taylor or Richard Rohr? Oh, be still, my heart. I know. Um, If I could only have one forever. Mm -hmm. Oh, they do such different things to my mind. These are authors, I think at at the end of the day, I want to be wooed by the artist. So I'm going to go with Barbara Brown Taylor. Okay. We can maybe talk about who those people are in a moment. Because would be nice for those listening who don't. Yeah. Uh, favorite item in your closet? Because I know you are a fashionista, Josh. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you can recognize that. <laughs> yeah. Most people can't. Um, it's probably what I have on, like these basketball shorts. Okay. Comfort over fashion all day. Can all I day. just pause for a second and vividly describe Josh's attire right now? Yes. First of all, he is wearing a green and gold Baylor Bears sweatshirt. On his lapel, he has a pair of yellow sunglasses which perfectly match the baylor yellow green bay packers century that's a real estate agency in wisconsin that my mother-in-law gave me these wow in 19 last summer i lost my sunglasses (laughs) i didn't know if they were vintage um paired with this green and yellow baylor sweatshirt are a pair of 
basketball shorts that are maroon. Maroon. That have been worn for probably 12 years? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, no, my brother-in-law got me these as a gift like four years ago. Okay. And but a pair of slides. Anything on that hat of yours? I can't see. Yeah, it's, right. it's a, the, there's a TV show called The Ye- Yellowstone. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, this is a Dutton, John Dutton Ranch Yellowstone hat. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, that anyway, so fashionista perfectly to my next question, which is what series on Netflix, streaming service, TV, whatever. What are you binging right now? Okay, I'm ashamed to admit this. Okay, we're watching the show The Politician, which I can't recommend for any reason. But um, okay, I'm now I'm you and I, Catherine. No, you're a little younger than me. I was born in '81, which is right on the verge of Gen X, Mm -hmm. millennial. Mm -hmm. I'm an Um, elder millennial. I asked our staff the other day. To help me start a TikTok account. Oh, good. And they said, no, you'll get hurt emotionally by what people say in response to your videos. You're not going to do it. And then Kieran, our youth pastor, said, um, I really sense some boomer energy coming from you. And I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, I'm, I might even be a millennial. I'm not even a Gen Xer necessarily. Um, so the show The Politician has been fascinating for me because it has been very clear to me the cultural divide that exists between me now and not everybody else who's a younger millennial, but now this, what are they, the Gen Zs, the 23-year-olds? Uh-huh. Can't be sure. Yeah. And it's like been, it's been startling for me to see a show depict such a worldview that is different than mine mm-hmm. and um, and make me reckon with it. So that's what mm-hmm. I'm really appreciating about it. Okay. I'm coming to the terms like I'm the old person now who doesn't get the... Right. The kids. Like, Sonny, uh-huh. tell yeah. me about right. the internet. Yeah, yeah, right. And I've always, like, I've, I'm, we just talk, I'm not stylish. I'm not, you know, I don't know music, but I've, like, I kind of have a pulse on culture. I, mm-hmm. I think I don't anymore. Yeah. And I would say, as the oldest person in the room, everybody gets to that point where the culture is changing so quickly that you just can't keep up anymore. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you cross that line. Into and you don't care. The, the youth of today. Yeah. Well, and what were you saying? Everybody at some point. Uh, has that moment where they don't feel as young as they used to. Mm-hmm. You know, like Ugh. there's that. And for me, it was, was it last year or the year before? I was going to the chapter rooms at Baylor. Yes, it was To last talk year. to the sorority girls. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And in my, like, I still can, like, feel those same feelings. I can be in the chair. Like, I still, in my mind, had that mind. And in that moment, I walked into the room, and it was like, like Park somebody the snapped their fingers mm-hmm. and there was such a clear difference between there was just and I was, him, I was looking us. at myself from that chair yes looking at a 32 year old yes not a 21 year old right. you know yeah. so yeah. Was, you walked in thinking you were one of them you walked out realizing it's me and them yes mm-hmm. yeah. realizing I was like having to apply intention and effort in order to relate mm. it's the worst not just be yeah. It's not the worst. It's just, so, it's a sobering moment. And I think everybody mm-hmm. can go back to that moment. Mm-hmm. Well, Josh, actually, the other day, um, him and Lindsay and I were talking and I had said something along these lines of like, I just look, I wonder what I would have said to my younger self, like, hey, be present, mm-hmm. live for, you know that moment where in Billy Madison when he's shaking the little boy's head and goes, stay as long <laughs> as you can. <laughs> yes. It's like that. But Josh made a really good point and said, I don't want to be 50 and looking back at a 38 year old going, you know, be, be present. Um, and so I think your point was to, this is, this is it right now. Yeah. There's something about 38 that I'm going to want when I'm 58 yes. and I don't want to miss that now. Exactly. Right. And what I would also say, cause we've asked each other this question before too, like, what do you, 
or maybe what would you say to your 16 year old self or what do you wish you knew when you were 16? And I think now that I'm kind of sitting on that question, I'm so glad I didn't know at 16 what you know at 33 or whatever Mm -hmm. age that you currently are. Like there's something about the naivety that makes 16 so fun. If you had a 40 year old brain trying to operate as a 16 year old, you would miss out on some of those experiences. And we, I did have that you don't want wisdom to prevent you from that were like 50 at 16 and they were not fun to be around. So, (laughs) um, okay. A couple more questions. Uh, favorite Harry Potter book. Book six. Okay. Half, not, that's half blood prince. Not there yet. Um, one book other than the Bible that you would tell people, hey, you've got to read this. Well, it's so hard because inescapably everything is attached to my worldview. Mm-hmm. So the, the book that has done the most to change my life and kind of how I approach the world is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Okay. Uh, Emery and Landry. Emery is reading that in school right now. Oh, really? Uh, Landry. Landry's reading. Okay. Junior. Yeah. Wow. I wonder though. I'm books are all about timing for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I wonder if I would have gotten it when I was. Probably not, because my brother-in-law saw that she was reading the book and was like, "Oh, that's so amazing! It's such a great book." And Landry was like, "Hmm, okay." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Can't cool. quite appreciate cool it. Cool yeah. back, back on TikTok. Okay, last two questions for me. Describe yourself as a teenager in three words. That 17, 18 year old guy. Confident. <laughs> Overconfident. Confident. <laughs> um, that's just one. <laughs> and curious. Okay. And then as a 38 year old. Curious. Underconfident. <laughs> <laughs> um, happy. Happy? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Wait, did we get a third word at 1718? Uh-uh. Confident and overconfident. <laughs> no, but I think overconfident yeah, I was counts correcting. as one word. Um, really happy at 17. Really happy. Okay. Yeah. okay. I thought of the question. The answer. The answer. To what question? The, the what thing you I believe, believe uh-huh. that no one that, else does. Uh-huh. Uh, billionaires are good for the world. Ooh. You do believe that billionaires yeah. are good for the world. Okay. Yeah. And most people believe that they are... Uh, most people probably have a bad taste in their mouth yes. when they think about really wealthy people. It's like, yes. do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. Well, sure. Um, I'm reading and, and you know, you, I vote left. So it's not like, um, I, I should have a palate to not like that, but I'm reading the, the Rockefeller documentary Titan and I'm in all this philanthropy part philanthropy right now. And I just listened to Dak Shepard interview Bill, Bill Gates. And I just think there are leaps that happen culture because that kind of capital and decision-making power is focused on one person mm-hmm. that just would never be able to be gotten to efficiently through the hands of the government. Yeah. Or if it was decentralized to like a ton of people. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Money is power. M- money's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Now, um, billionaires can also be a disaster. I just <laughs> got the recent edition of Forbes magazine. It listed the top 500 whatever billionaires. And most of them, like the end of the list, everybody makes like two billion, and then they rate um, everybody's philanthropy score, and very few of them are two stars or higher. Mm. <laughs> it's like five. a yeah. like a bad like Mexican food restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I, you know, that's why that's an edgy comment to make. I think because yeah. you know, statistically speaking, they are bad. But um, but the few who are good do a lot. Well, of good. Rockefeller, I just read this for you. Eradicated hookworm by himself in a country. Yeah, what have you done today? <laughs> Had some Mountain Dew and donut. <laughs> <laughs> Stepped in a hookworm. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Got hookworm. 
All right, Emily. Okay, I have just a handful of questions. Um, would you rather be a bird or a fish? <laughs> bird. <laughs> Wait, would you wait. rather be a cat or a dog? <laughs> wait. <laughs> we just were like, we just went like so deep. <laughs> philosophical, philosophical, like billionaires. Are they good? Are they bad? Are they evil? Is money good? Is it bad? Hey, by the way, Fisher bird. <laughs> Sorcerer okay. stone. No, no. <laughs> it's not just two random animals. Would you rather be well, above everything or below an- everything? They're not animals. <laughs> we, we can philosophically get to why that's a good Wait, question. I just saw Emily as a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> I did. It was cute. It was, did you make that up just now? I've been brainstorming my questions. About <laughs> I, she's got. I'm looking at her phone. It's a Google page. Icebreakers for pre-K. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I Best. feel like I literally just watched The Sorcerer in the Stone. Do you remember that? I think no. he was a fish and a bird yeah, at one no, point. That, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Fish life was rough. That influenced my decision. I ran that script through my head. Yes, the owl, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that like alligator looking garfish trying to eat the the Merlin kid. Yes, or, but being a bird was way better. Yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot less predators in this guy. Yeah. Listen to this conversation, Emily. Fooled you guys. Riveting. Yeah. A great I question. used to wish that I could be a bird. I have a feeling a lot of this but is going to get edited out. Nope. Nope. They, they, are, <laughs> they are creatures with opposite abilities. Okay. Yeah. Above the world or below the world? <laughs> breeze, air, breeze. Water. water yeah. Oxygen out, out of, of the there. Yeah. Or out of the water. <laughs> Okay, Emily, keep going. I don't know your answer. He said I bird. said bird. Oh, <laughs> above there it all. There was so much other chatter going on. I didn't yeah. hear your answer. <laughs> we were just really taken back with the question. Yeah. Okay. Poignant. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So going back to you being a, a child, when you were a kid, what did you think you would be when you grew up? Um, kind of different than like what did you want to be I like what did you be, really think you were going to do okay because I wanted to be a pro basketball player okay uh, I, I thought I would be a airline pilot okay oh, wow at what point did that um, not be on the table anymore um, algebra one <laughs> <laughs> I was so bad at algebra I was really into space. I wanted to be an astronaut until I learned you had to have 20-20 vision while I had contacts in my eyes in sixth grade. (laughs) That's a bummer. I know. I couldn't be an astronaut because they do the, they put you into orbit and they simulate the spinning. And so motion Uh sickness you can't have. Right. (laughs) That would. I couldn't do it because I don't have Mountain Dew in space. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You're given a plane ticket today. Where would you go? New York City. Yeah? Yeah. Right now? Yep. Cool. Have you ever been? Yep. Oh, okay. Why right. do you want to go there right now? I, I love it. I went last summer for my 15th anniversary. went to the Catskills and then to the city to see a show. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. Um, somebody designed Times Square for Enneagram 3s. Mm-hmm. The okay. world was there. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. I loved it too when I went for the first time. What, what are you about to say? My next question. Okay. <laughs> keep talking about no, keep going. No, what do you think about New York City? Would you want to go? Would I what? Were you about to say something about NYC? Okay. My final question that I've thought of in the last five minutes. Um, <laughs> what is the hardest personality trait for you to relate to? Relate Ooh. to or tolerate? Mm. 
Mm. Let's do both. Well, okay, yeah. relate to any kind of emotional response to anything. Mm. Okay. Mm. Okay, so like, like did you cry or did you get emotional when Mufasa died in The Lion King? No. What? Okay, continue. Not because, it, but it's it's like, it's a, I can't. Like, can you, you can't. can you dunk? Maybe. No, this is just as hard for me as to feel. So... Uh, what was the other one? Relate, uh, relate to, for you to or tolerate. So you can't relate to other people having emotional responses. Yeah, well, it's similar. I don't like Hardest one for you to tolerate. Emo- emotional need. Okay. Like those relationships really suffocate me. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to pause right here because you are a pastor. Yeah. And I imagine, <laughs> uh, as a reminder. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> he goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm uh, lamenting the, the acute nature of the question coming. Well, I just, I, I think it's honest. And I think that's, that self-awareness is an important tool as a pastor mm-hmm. to deal mm-hmm. with the things that you don't want to deal with and that you have less patience with. But how do you do those things then in an authentic way? Yeah. Um, number one, um, the gift I was given to help compensate for my emotional um, underdevelopment is curiosity. And so it is very easy for me to sit in a space with a person and be genuinely interested in a way and, and emote that energy. Mm-hmm. I think they can feel that. And that's very authentic for me. Yes. Um, but it can't always just be curious. Um, there's a, I know somebody's in the hospital right now. And um, I, part of the problem is I struggle to believe people want me to step into those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, because as a pastor, you have five, 600 people that you allegedly are their pastor. Now at our church, we have several full-time staff and what we've learned is people have their pastors. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of figure out who to send. But when I don't, um, it's hard for me to step into those moments and struggle that, but I've had to learn that. So I've had to believe that I, my presence is wanted in those moments. And then I think, you know, like any of us, um, having children really helped me, Mm -hmm. um, kind of grow in empathy and not that every situation I step into involves children, but, um, you know, there's there's something in my life that's suddenly more important than me and that I would die for. And so even hanging around that kind of idea, you can, you know, do the, the symmetrical work to try and get to where you need mm-hmm. to be. So I will say um, I have two examples specific to you, Josh, in a question. So the first example I have when you said you are genuinely curious, which is true. Mm-hmm. And so that curiosity leads you to ask questions. Mm-hmm. So in an emotional moment, you can tap into truly asking authentic questions about the context or the situation, which often makes people feel heard, intended to, and seen. But I saw that evidence in you. Um, Catherine and I met with you at lunch. We were kind of all getting to know each other. I had been at UBC, your church, for a while. Catherine, I think, had been there a couple times. But you and I, Catherine, made the decision to meet with Josh and tell him about your divorce. And it was a, <laughs> yes, it was a, a big, not decision necessarily, but you weren't asked like a, a milestone. It was kind of mm-hmm. like a, let's see how this goes for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. One is because you were talking to a pastor Correct. about it. And then two, because you weren't really talking about the details of your divorce with many people. Also correct. So I went to kind of Sherpa the conversation. I was just, it was the first time that I remember like giving you the keys to the car <laughs> and saying here, start it and drive and tell the story. Mm-hmm. And not that I didn't trust that you could tell it. I just didn't know if you might need my support or you know, linear chronological thing. But what I remember <laughs> the details out of order. <laughs> well, it's hard when it's your yeah, story. No, you know? it is. But mm-hmm. what I remember about you, Josh, is that 
after Catherine completed her story, the first thing you said was, do you remember? No, I don't. The first thing you said was, I'm sorry that happened to you. That's the first thing you said, which is, okay, sure, it's a common response, but it was, you meant it, and I felt Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And when you said that to her, I got tears in my eyes. And I think a lot of times what pastors that I've been around, they try to come in very solutions-focused, and you sat with her in her pain. And then after that, you asked a lot of questions. So I don't know if you recall that conversation as being emotionally needy or emotional, and if that's the kind of stuff that you don't enjoy doing, but I just wanted to say you handled it with such couth and finesse and care and grace that if that is how you pastor people, that is enough. Yeah, well, I'll say several things in response to that. First of all, thank you um, for characterizing the moment that way. And um, I think that one thing that has never been lost on me since the get-go is it's an incredible privilege for anybody to bear their soul to anyone, much less a complete stranger, um, and, and I feel the weight of that. Mm-hmm. I get that right away. I think the other thing I've learned and, um, to speak theologically, like this is where I feel the, the aid of the, the Holy Spirit is that what I've come to understand is UBC for as, as hard as we work to, um, sort of dismantle the notion of what pastor is and is not, and have kind of developed healthy views of us as fellow sojourners on this journey. Um, Despite that, there's just, for some people, a moment where I'm a priestly figure. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by, like, you know, it's kind of the conduit between person and God. And it has nothing to do with me. It's just, like, it's why people wear collars, you know? Like, priests wear collars. You represent something. And so often, and I'm not saying this was the case with you, when people are telling me their stories, they're simply telling me the story to see what I'm going to say. Like, God's on trial. Mm -hmm. And, And so that also, I think... That's what I mean. The spirit, I feel with me in that moment. And there's a, a empathy and a natural gentleness that comes to me um, because mm-hmm. I, I know I'm not carrying the thing for myself in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that feels like a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Gosh, that's so self-aware. Um, I was going to ask just in general, not specific to that story, but in general, when dealing with people or encountering people with a lot of emotions, you know, that personal personality trait that's maybe more difficult to relate to or even tolerate. Do you find that you wish in general that you had more emotion or that other people had less emotion? Like, do you find yourself asking questions to try to pull them out of that space to share your perspective? Or are you asking questions trying to tap into get that to, emotion, trying to get to where they are? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. Maybe I've misunderstood you. I don't think I'm trying to do either. Okay. Um, because it's vulnerability is really delicate. And if they're have done the privilege of putting themselves there in front of me, the last thing I want to do is try and bend that journey to any particular emotional. Mm-hmm. Cause you, uh, there's a power dynamic at play mm-hmm. and, and people can really damage people in that moment. If they yeah. manipulate that expression as for myself, um, you know, I, I pick on myself a lot. I do think I have a good deal of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that, you know, if we were to talk Enneagram comes with being in the heart triad. Um, but um, I'm at my best self when I'm um, authentic. We all are. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the curiosity can be a gift is um, I, I listening. I'm, I'm living in the narrative and I'm trying to think 
what would be meaningful for me to hear if I was on the other end of this right now? Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I'm just genuinely curious and I don't know. And the best thing for me to do in that moment is to n- name my limitation um, because I think that helps put them at ease. But I'm, I'm not trying to get something from you. I genuinely want to know. Yeah. What do you mean name your limitation? Like how does that... Well, I think a lot of experts in fields act like they're the expert because they feel like they have to. And um, when the thing isn't my body, like a doctor or, you know, pick your analogy, but people's souls, um, again, it's just really delicate. And Mm -hmm. um, given what I believe theologically, the best thing I can do for both of us as humans, even though I have this collar on, I'm using that as a metaphor, is is to admit that I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. And just to say, I don't know where to go from here. Um, can we keep pressing into this? And to realize that that's okay. Because most people, the most cathartic thing you can do is initially is, is just to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I can speak to people theologically, but that's usually not the moment to do it anyways. Yeah. That comes a lot longer in their journey of healing and helping them trying to make sense of mm-hmm. God then. Yeah. And I think the other thing is a lot of times people nowadays um, come to pastors to do what should be therapy work mm-hmm. one because they don't trust therapists and that's unfortunate i think i think people should trust therapists yeah. but two because it's free and they don't have money mm-hmm. yeah and there's something i think in a lot of people that think to your point of like a priestly figure is going to have the solution versus a solution you know like oh this is god's solution for me might feel more weighty or permanent than an earthly therapist that has a method which they went to a lot of school for right <laughs> and i you know I'm, I'm with you on people should trust well and i can therapist. do damage to them if they want me to do a kind of work in them that i've not been educated to do correct mm-hmm. so speaking of i did want to kind of uh talk a little bit about your background and how you arrived as the pastor at UBC, I think it's important for our listeners. We just talked about a lot of things and it's like, well, why do you get to talk about that a little bit to your point? But just wanted to hear where you're from, you know, your family, your education, and then why Waco, you know, and Mountain Dew, why Mountain Dew? Um, okay. So just biography is what you need. So I grew up in small town, Wisconsin. Um, my dad was a pastor of a non-denominational charismatic church. Uh, did Brownsville Revival for anybody who knows what that is. My parents went to the airport vineyard when that was a thing. Wow. Uh, we, you know, gold dust, bark like animals. <laughs> laugh. That, that was the best, the dogs. I, we, I say that. I don't think we actually had animal noises in our church. Um, but we had some people who were looking for that kind of stuff. Anyways, did that, Anyways. <laughs> did that for 18 years. Went to a Baptist college, Bethel, north of St. Paul, Minnesota. So you're, f- you're from? The north. Wisconsin? Wisconsin. So you say big. Big. All right. Shopping big. <laughs> Um, was a marketing major because I thought that was easy, was dyslexic, fell in love with theology my junior, sophomore year, had a really great professor. My senior year, I was done with my degree, so I took all literature and fiction class or literature and theology class classes and um, applied to several seminaries, got accepted down here, came, loved it, rest is history, became pastor, became Baptist, incidentally. <laughs> what does that mean to become Baptist? Because um, I think yeah. that has a connotation in the South, but right, I think what yeah. that actually means is probably something a little bit different so mm-hmm. i went to my baptist college i was like meh and i went to a baptist seminary but i wanted to be a professor i didn't care about the ecclesiological pedigree what i cared about was the reputable nature of the the program so that i could keep going and um 
I took the distinctives class where they talked about what it means to be a Baptist and in the larger umbrella of what we call the free church tradition, which is Pentecostals, Church of Christ, all these who don't have bishops and structure. Um, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I more or less believe this. And I was worshiping at UBC at the time as a parishioner. And um, that really was instrumental in my kind of conversion back to thinking about doing church. And I'm like, well, if this is Baptist, I could be Baptist. I, I mean, it's a, you know, I, I'm not deeply in love with it now. I love the Baptist tradition for what it's, but it's not, it's not like an identity thing that I fight for. And because of the stigma, like I grew up in the North, I was homeschooled and the Baptist kids would show up to homeschool day and like we would be downhill skiing in their jean skirts. It was like almost Amish. You know? <laughs> and uh, it would just seem like a, in a relationship with culture that I wasn't interested in. Mm-hmm. And so then I had to unlearn that, oh, this is a really big banner and there's a lot of diversity. Uh, <laughs> this is my line of recent, I used to pin two theologians say they're both Baptists. Now I say uh, Baptists are both John D. Rockefeller, who was fervent Baptist, and then um, Cornell West, who's a philosopher now at, I think, Harvard, um, who's, if you read them, you would just see the range, and they're both Baptist. Mm-hmm. So. Because I think when people think Baptist, they think... <laughs> Sounds like a country song. It is Alan Jackson's version of He Lives. <laughs> okay. See, well, yeah. He walks with me. No, he talks I, with me. Like, that's what I think people very associate interesting. Baptist with. You, you, I've never heard that song. Um, there's a lot of moments where I'm part of this tradition and pastor all these people have grown up around the South and they'll say things to me and make reference and I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably because you're from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. So, well, so, but that was a pretty big swing to go from charismania to Baptist, but it's interesting to me, because I don't know anything about the the college, the seminary that you went to, um, but UBC, even on the scale of Baptists, isn't really Baptist, Baptist, in my opinion, by definition. Well, it's kind of like the word evangelical, so um, that has a larger cultural political meaning now than it does theological meaning. There is a theological definition. Um, there's a guy who was at Baylor, David Bevington, who talked about these four tenets of evangelicalism. If that's what we're talking about, yeah, I mean, evangelical. It's like crucentrism, biblicism, these other kind of tenets. Uh, but that's not what most people are right. It's, talking it, about. And I think with Baptists, it's the same thing. Yeah. If we're going to go to distinctive class, yeah, I'm for local autonomy of the church. I'm for soul competency. I'm for priesthood of the believer. All these things that are markers. But nobody thinks of that when they talk about Baptist. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I love about UBC, and I think where it cross-sections really well with Refit and what we've been a part of and helped build with our, within our Refit community is the sense of belonging. And it is one of the, I guess, tenets here on your website, Josh. <laughs> um, I had to text Jamie, your worship pastor, for it because I was trying to figure out where it was this morning. But uh, it says belonging. It says being a UBCer, and it says belonging, authentic self-expression within a loving community. At UBC, we encourage you to be yourself. You will not be marginalized because of your past, your questions, your look, political, social, or theological views. We celebrate how God has uniquely crafted you through your journey we can all go home now. Like that is the thing I, I love about one of the things I love about UBC. And I think that holding that line as a community, as a refit community, but also as a church community, it's probably been difficult to say the least. And so when you started, when you became pastor of the church, it was on the heels of a tragedy. Was that culture already in play? Was that something that you helped shape? How is that culture 
changed in the last five to 10 years? Have you been intentional in creating it? The culture has certainly, it was certainly there. The ethos is, I think the thread through the whole thing, um, the church has really gone from movement to institution. Um, and by that, I mean, we went from, you know, shoestring college kid kind of, uh, yoga class on Tuesday, you know, sort of thing too. Now we have an HR team. Now we have finance team. Now we have nursery. Now we have youth pastor and shepherding that, that movement. But the thing that's been the same has been, I think the posture towards theology. Um, I think, you know, I don't want to give UBC too much credit cause they're legion of problems, but I do think <laughs> there's a kind of, I, I trying to remember. I think I don't want to overstate this. I think there's a theological humility mm-hmm. and maybe that's what I've subconsciously tried to work hard for in, mm-hmm. in the culture. So people can feel that. Um, the one metaphor I always say is UBC is a hospital. Um, and it's, it's the one place I want people to come and really let their hair down. Um, and we might be wrong, you know, because to create that space, you really have to suppress some distinctives that people have thought are really essential to church. And that doesn't mean we don't believe them, but it's just we don't use them as litmus tests in a way that I think other cultural organizations do. Can you give some s- specifics? Do you want me to give specifics? Yeah, because I, I, I'm, what I'm trying to do is for our listeners, I want them to get to know who you are. And I think the expression of UBC is in part a reflection of who the Carney family is. And so there are some things that are unnerving about UBC that I thought, oh, this and this and this will happen. And it, and it didn't. And then I had to reckon with my own thoughts and beliefs as a result. Hmm. Um, yeah. So the, the obvious one right now just culturally is sexuality. And so, um, there's very strong and diverse opinions about this within the church. But if you're really going to have a space for everyone, despite their sexual orientation, which I think every church does want, mm-hmm. even the most theologically conservative of them, um, they want everybody to come and worship and feel home and safe there. You really have to think about how the language and not just your beliefs are being heard and received by people. And so when I talk about suppressing certain things, um, it can be a lot. And there, you could level some criticisms to that approach, and we feel those, right? Mm-hmm. Um I could lead in a very different way and we'd be much more efficient at some things. Yeah. I think one of the things Angela, when she first visited, she was like, you just have to come and experience it. And I remember, um, sitting there in the, the time between transitions was what felt like 73 minutes. Oh, (laughs) it's like the lack of production, but coupled with the intentionality, that you and Jamie craft the service with was something I wasn't used to. I'm used to music ends, grab the mic, and Lord, thank you so much. You, Yes, God, you are our shepherd. You right. are our shepherd, Lord. And they're just like repeating the lyrics that you just sang. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I was so used to production and choir and lights and this and that. And UBC is like minus that, like mm-hmm. in the negative of that. And in that space, you almost meet God because you, it's, I guess the analogy is like, you're so used to filling that space with all these other things when it's yes, not yes, filled, yes. you kind of ha- you're you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, it is awkward. So, I mean, super I, awkward. my first time at UBC was one of the strangest experiences I've ever had. <laughs> um, but it has not nothing had nothing to do with UBC. It had everything to do with what I was used to, what I expected, what I wanted church to be, what I thought that it should be. And so to walk into a place that is so organic and yet so intentional, but also so counter anything I had ever experienced before. 
that awkward quickly turns into a very intimate experience mm-hmm. that for me needed further defining. So I texted Catherine is like, I need you to come with me next week. Cause I don't know what just happened, <laughs> but something did. And I need you to experience it too. Um, and I think that awkward space for most Christians, they can't reconcile. Um, I think for the people who want and need that, like you've said before, UBC is for the overchurched and underchurched. Or a sunny spot for shady people was also (laughs) what you said. (laughs) But the majority in the middle of that, I don't think that UBC is their cup of tea, not because UBC is wrong, but because they aren't ready. And I'm careful with who I invite to UBC. It's not the typical evangelical approach that I take, you know, like mm-hmm. let's invite a friend to church on Sunday kind of thing. Yeah. It's, I'm careful with who I, who I bring there. Mm-hmm. Um, who we're not bringing there currently because yeah. we're still online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I, but I, I love it. But I guess my question is, do you feel that way about your own church? Do you know it's a little bit of a misnomer in terms of typecasting church experiences and, or is it all that you've ever known? And so you don't really know different. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think I'm very aware of what it is and what it is not. Um, and really part of it is that the culture has changed too, because I think as a lead pastor, I've always valued and tried to let ministry grow around the people we've hired and let Mm -hmm. their personalities really script what they're doing. Um, And so um, Jamie, our current worship pastor, is a tremendous writer. Um, He's probably the most, he he is the theologically smartest Mm -hmm. worship pastor we've had. And um, his his personal taste oozes with the parts of worship he leads. And I think my personality oozes in the way I use the the sermon moment. I, you know, I was thinking, interesting, we were talking about this, Emily, I think Church Under the Bridge, in mm-hmm. some ways, might be one of the more analogous experiences to UBC in that um, there is a lot of disruption to expectation. Absolutely. And um, the, that's the similar, I think the, maybe the advantage that even has is if the name is in the, the space immediately kind of blow apart. You know what you're expecting. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And that's what I said. So the, I think the, the difficulty that UBC carries is um, we're trying to also dismantle um, preconceived notions and experiences, but we're still doing it in a form that is more or less familiar to people culturally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where the struggle is. Yeah. Uh, side note, Church Under the Bridge, Emily, is mm-hmm. where you and your family worship. And yes. can you just describe that a little bit for listeners who don't know? Yes. Um, so there is no church building um, with our church. We meet outside. It, it typically happens under the Interstate 35 Bridge, um, which is currently under construction. So the Gaines family has actually been so kind to let us actually gather at the silos each Sunday, kind of moving around because we're working around their parking lot construction <laughs> construction as well. But it is black, white, rich, and poor, educated in the streets and in the university, all worshiping the and same And a lot of homeless God. people attend church there. Yes, yeah. yes. And so there is a wide range of not only people in worship, but also those leading worship. Um, Jimmy, our pastor, actually doesn't even 
like setting a precedence for what you can expect each, each Sunday. He said, you know, I don't really want somebody to come just because they like the music. So you're going to get a little bit of everything. So mm-hmm. there's, they're constantly looking for how the church body can be using their unique talents and gifts to lead um, and help worship with others. So, yeah, I had um, one of the things I wanted to ask Josh was a couple of our burning questions, which we've already kind of stepped into gracefully stumbled into. And so Mm -hmm. one of my kind of burning questions or theological questions that I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this, Josh, you're smarter than me, Mm -hmm. um, is along the lines of what we're talking about, which is the church today versus the vision or the original intent or like the early church. Like, are we way off the mark? Are we close? Are we, what's going on? Um, just would like your thoughts on maybe how we've evolved as a community over the past 2000 years. Yeah. Um, I kind of, um, I'm going to turn it the wrong way when I hear this phrase, like if we could just get back to the Acts church or the first century church, um, you know, like the Acts 2 is a really powerful text. They held everything in common, shared what they had, all that. And that's a beautiful image. But if, you know, and it's, it's tough to recreate the timeline, but Paul's also out searching for money for the Jerusalem church, like, you know, conceivably 20 years later. So did that fail? You know what I mean? Like what, what's not working there? Did God quit providing? So I think there's an idealized notion of what that was. Also, it's like if you read Paul's letters, especially in like Corinthians, it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um and I think there's a lot going on in Corinthians. Right. <laughs> um, and so uh, I think that anytime you gathered messy people in the same place, church is doing what it's supposed to do. Now, I do think that at some point we're going to have to reckon with the fact how much we're spending on personnel and buildings. And um, that might be short, jumping the shark. I also think, though, that ecclesiology, I'll define it as like theology of church. Um, can't be predicated on getting it right any more than just theology. And I know we've talked about that, Catherine, about um, my theology, doesn't, my right theology isn't a prerequisite for relationship with God. And I don't think right ecclesiology can preclude corporate worship of God. Um, I can name every denomination kind of instance of church and just find beautiful stories that are happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm very reluctant to name better, best, worse, mm-hmm. and just know that the Holy Spirit has been really gracious to all kinds of expressions of faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a burning question. Um, you hear Christians a lot repeat in the world, but not of the world. Um, and we as a business that has Christian flair, Christian uh, influence. We all have a f- faith. We all personally a per- have a, a faith, a but also faith. historically, you know, we, we did start fitness in a church. And so that, uh, that venue lent itself to certain types of music that we used early on, certain types of uh, phraseology that we would share. And as we grew and grew out of the church space, we grew in understanding and in our capacity and desire to love all types of people. And so we wanted our classes to reflect more of the people that we loved and, and wanted to be in relationship with, some of whom weren't Christian. And so we wanted everybody to experience belonging. And so I think when they find little uh, pieces of familiarity, whether it's a song they heard on the radio or conversation topics of conversations, you know, we, we're just broad in our scope of love. It's not 
Christian fitness. We're just fitness for people. But we often hear people who will say to us, you know, things along the lines of, I wish you guys were more like you were in the beginning. I wish you were more using more Christian music. And the reminder, the gentle reminder that often accompanies those preferences is, remember, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And so I have a hard time with that because it feels judgmental in the context of the feedback that they're giving us. But I just am interested in your broader maybe understanding of what that means. How do we as Christians reconcile being in the world and not of the world? You have some who would say uh, the shows that you're binge watching on network Netflix, uh, that's being of the world and you don't need to be or like in the world or like your jeans are too tight. You go the, right. the spectrum of that conversation is all you can wear is long skirts and like not cut your hair to like, you know, mm-hmm. it's fine. Mm-hmm. Watch that show. So, yeah. Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah. Um, it's tough because you you started the question and kept nuancing. So I was jumping around in my head about what I would say to each particular. Uh, as for the text itself, the Bible doesn't actually say be in the world but not a world everywhere. That's, a I think, a not a disingenuous reconstruction of part of Jesus' priestly prayer in John 15 through 17. Um, that's perhaps neither here nor there. I think the larger question is. <laughs> well, no, I think that's kind of important. So <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty here. So people well, are I, quoting it as scripture I, I mean, and what God has told you us. You could find a version of that kind of cutting. You know, if you put mm-hmm. ellipses in the verses, and um, I think that um, it's an important question. And I do think our hearts and our minds are formed. And Paul says things like in Philippians. Um, 4, 8, and Romans 12, 1 and 2 about, you know, be no longer conformed to the pattern of the world, but transformed by the renewing your mind and whatever's pure, good, lovely, true, good report, meditate on these things. So mm-hmm. Paul's very intentional. Um, another one's, I think, 2 Corinthians 5, take every thought captive and bring in obedience to Jesus. Um, Paul clearly um, is sensitive to how we are taking in the world. Um, how would you define the world? Well, that's another interesting question because um, John seems to have the most bombastic kind of acute language for using the world. Like I think when we use the world, we, we get that from John. But John also says that um, Christ died for the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just the same boat there. Um, so I, I mean secular culture. Um, interestingly, though, secular culture by the church fathers was defined as everything after the fall until the... Um, till Jesus came back? Right. Or till Jesus walked on the earth, he hasn't come back. Or no, till the, the second coming. Oh, okay. And so, um, you know. So that's, currently. That's all of us. Yeah, we're all we're, the secular mm-hmm. age. We're, we're here. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so I do want to pay attention to what I'm consuming and how I'm consuming. Like, um, I, I just watched The Last Dance with Roy, mm-hmm. and there was a lot more the use of, you know, the F word than I thought there would be. And mm-hmm. so I had to have a conversation with him about what that word means. And he's, he's heard it. He's hearing it. Um, and so it's not like that's the thing, but just how do I appropriate that and how do we understand that, how that word functions in language and mm-hmm. informs us as humans. So, um, on the other hand, um, all of Christian culture is an adoption of something that existed before it. Like, um, Christmas is a pagan holiday. Easter is a pagan holiday. Um, and this is kind of the talk I gave at Refit Recon a couple of years mm-hmm. ago where I showed the Johnny Cash clip. You know, where he, he, um, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, a decidedly pagan kind of bad, you know, Marilyn Manson kind of bad in the mid 1990s, wrote the song Hurt. Johnny Cash took the song, changed one word, Crown of Thorns instead of Crown of S H I T, and um, put together just the most beautiful artistic 
rendering and retelling of his life through the song. When Trent Reznor watches this video after it's sent to him two weeks later, he says, that's no longer my song anymore. That's, mm. that's Johnny Cash's song. And that is just such a beautiful adaptation and, um, of, of culture. And it, didn't, it doesn't ruin the work that Trent Reznor did. It bolsters it. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I don't use the word sacred and secular. I use the word of everything is in either the category of redeemed or still in need of redemption. Hmm. And um, I don't know. I just think that we're all artists. There's some really beautiful things happening in the world by people who don't know who Jesus is. And to engage and, and use that is to celebrate that creative spirit that is in them and was given them by God. Um, and so I don't have a problem with that. How do you feel about Kanye's recent transformation? Um, I, well, first of all, I don't—I haven't heard any actual music, mm-hmm. either before or after. Um, I think <laughs> not a music guy. Yeah, I don't. I listen to Gregorian chant and classical music. Is yeah. really what I listen to. Um, you know, I think that one of the the most helpful things um, I heard said about Kanye was from um, who's the feller who. Is Jay-Z married to Beyonce? Mm-hmm. Okay, so he was on Letterman's show, and Letterman talked about Kanye. And, um, you know, Jay-Z very gently kind of acknowledged the mental health stuff going on in his life and then celebrated what he could about him and also gave pause for the really kind of bombastic and tenacious things that are coming out of his life or was at the time. And I think that that's probably an appropriate response, especially when something like mental health is involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to catch myself because I'm deeply entertained by him. Sure. But mm-hmm. I have to make sure that... Remember, he's like a human. Yeah. Who's trying to figure it out. Yeah. 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 I don't know if a question's going to come out of this, but it's a statement that I want to make because I'm having some light bulb moments here as we're talking. Even just in that little tweak of thinking of even scripture referring to the world or even how we view the world and the use of secular and all of that. And when we are when Christians are kind of warning one another about what the world can do to you. And if there's now kind of this broader concept that we are all the world. (laughs) We are the world. (laughs) But I would like to acknowledge that there's as much danger in being consumed by church culture, Christian culture, things that that doesn't by default Mm -hmm. deem it from God. And to position yourself to only clear out or think that you are safe because you have shunned out everything that falls outside of the church building or the church family does not mean that you are living in quote the will of God Mm -hmm. or that you are in a safe space that your heart is protected that your mind is thinking of that that is pure and holy and right and everything that scripture does uh, encourage us to think on so What I love about you, Josh, is in your question asking, because now this is all just taking my mind into like spiritual abuse and spiritual authority and, you know, places where because that message is so ingrained, people do feel like everything that is said from certain points of leadership is then the interpretation of the Holy Spirit. You don't, and I think what what I've heard from Angela and Catherine, even in your preaching, or your sermons, um, so much of it is led by or ended with questions. It's not you positioning yourself as God says this and this is what it means for you. It's always a prompting to have the individual 
in tune and, and listening to the Holy Spirit and how they interpret it in their lives. And so, again, I, there's not a question, but would you agree or have thoughts to add on to that kind of new understanding of everything in the world is at risk <laughs> or everything in the world has the potential to be damaging. Well, I think your observation about church subculture is really salient. Um, yeah. You know, I think most people that condemn culture so voraciously do so out of a kind of fear. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. the, the really sad thing is statistically, and I can find figures on the left and the right of the theological spectrum, you're probably not much safer within your church culture. Right. And it may end up being a mm-hmm. lot worse for the same reason I talked about the priestly presence before, because the ones doing the damage are doing it in the name of God, mm-hmm. not in the name of medicine, not in the name of psychology, not in yes, the name yes, of yes, yes, God. Yes. Is, and I mean, how horrible is that? Mm-hmm. And so kudos for, I hadn't thought of it that candidly before, but um, to the second thing about preaching, yeah, I made a commitment very early on in, in my journey and it's probably out of that curiosity thing but also just like I get bored once I've figured something out (laughs) and I I stop wanting to talk about it and so Uh my preaching was always going to be committed to sharing with people what I was figuring out not what I had figured out Mm. oh yeah that's a shift I mean to Emily's point I think all of our experiences is most people say here are the three points here's this passage the three points go do these three things because I've already done it. Here's 10 stories to reinforce why this is a good idea from my own experience. See you next Sunday. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's ill-intended. It's just learned. It's just what's been. Um, and it's probably been successful to a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the other thing I've sort of intuited over time is, you know, we, we think a lot more in terms of intersectionality now. And um, I am a white male, cisgendered um, guy who's, you know, not had life handed to him, but it's been a pretty great journey. Mm-hmm. And so, especially um, when you were 17 and 18. <laughs> yes. Especially the in the glory days. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if like I'm this Sunday, I'm talking about forgiveness, the, the amount of forgiving I've had to do compared to the amount of forgiving some other people have had to do, that I'm trying to talk to mm-hmm. is astronomically different. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't bring a humility into that moment and I don't consider the possibility, I might not comprehend all that this text has to say, I could really do some damage. Mm -hmm. Do you consider yourself a teaching pastor? Um, That's what my role was when I was hired. It changed to lead. I enjoy teaching way more than I enjoy leading. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Leading's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, We're just figuring that out. Leading is hard. Yeah, well, (laughs) um, me too. Um, Yeah, I guess so. I mean, when I think about where my passion lies, it has much more to do with Mm-hmm. books and writing than it does yeah and your initial desire to be a college professor yeah you know versus a pastor but it's similar I think um to kind of dovetail off what Emily said and what you said Josh is to back up a little bit what I love about sitting and listening to you specifically is uh, I always walk away with something that I was like, dang it, I thought I knew what that meant. (laughs) And you just challenge the way I had been either subconsciously taught or consciously decided this is what this means. And you're not saying it's actually this other thing as much as you're saying, hey, maybe think of it this way. Mm -hmm. So the great example would be, and it is what 
kept me at UBC and I'll probably get emotional. So everyone who doesn't like feelings, all three of you here, <laughs> gird your loins. Um, Aggressive numbers. Yeah. Um, so I think feelings my second. Yeah. Do feel think. Mm-hmm. So um, is the parable of the sower you told? And so you're, you're telling the parable of the sower, you're describing it, you read it, you describe it, you start talking about the seeds and where they land and you know, it's the good soil, the rocky soil off the path. And then there's one more with the weeds, with the weeds. And as you're telling it, I start getting anxious. I'm sitting there in my head going, I don't know what soil I am. I wonder (laughs) what soil I am today, you know, and you actually acknowledge that. I don't know if you like were reading my mind, but you said, if you are like me in this moment, you're feeling anxious and you're wondering which soil am I? And it was that moment a, that I was like, okay, Josh is normal. <laughs> Josh feels these things. He responded to this scripture the same way I did, which is like, oh crap, hope I'm the good soil. And then you went on and you explained some more and the punchline of the sermon if I'm, if I'm wrong, if I missed it, you tell me, <laughs> was what if the parable is less about which seed we are or which soil we are, um, good among, you know, among the weeds, whatever, and more about a God who's going to scatter seed no matter where it lands, whether it lands on the good soil, the rocky soil, the one with the weeds, you know, the one, whatever. And I was like, okay, sign me up. How do I become a lifetime member here? <laughs> like just because such a paradigm shift. Yeah. It blew the whole thing up for me. I was like, I'm not even that I've been reading it wrong. That's how, as my one black and white goes, but like the possibility that it could actually be something other than I thought that curiosity was enough to keep me in and go, I need, wow, that changes the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's an upside down shift. So yeah, the indiscriminate sower. Um, it's, it's not dissimilar, I think, to the way Tim Keller so artistically subverted the reading of the prodigal son to it's the prodigal father. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, when I have those moments in study or reading when somebody else does that kind of magic for me in the text, that's what ignites me. That's what makes for my spiritual formation mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it speaks to my curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. I'd forgotten that, but yes. Um, I'm going to go back surface a little bit more. <laughs> Our Christians get out of those feelings. No, no, no. <laughs> Are Christian things better than other things? And fill in the blank with anything. Is Christian music better than non-Christian music? If I shop no. from a Christian uh, uh, retail store, did you buy some testaments? <laughs> so Christian T-shirts. You know, we my get, complicated answer yeah. is, I I really do think right worship matters. Mm-hmm. And so, what do you mean by right? Right worship. Um, I think theology matters, the way we express ourselves to God matters, all these things. Um, so, but my qualification would be there are some secular songs that are more Christian than Christian songs. There are some secular books that are more Christian than Christian books. There are some Buddhist books that are more Christian than Christian books. Mm-hmm. So that's how I would complicate that. <laughs> that's thank, how you, I just thank you for that. Throw a wrench in your whole argument. Um, Immanuel Kant, kind of the father of modern philosophy, talked about the noumenal and the phenomenal. And he, you know, this is maybe a different way to say some things that you can find in scripture, but there's just things we can't know. And I, I just think we need to be really, um, let humility be so pervasive in our expression of our theology. And the other one, big one is just follow the fruit. You know, Jesus mm-hmm. said it'll bear fruit. Mm-hmm. 
And um, if you think a TV show's bad and you're watching it and you're worse off for it, it's not hard to discern. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think humility is threatening to most people in a spiritual authority or spiritual le- leadership because of the comment you made earlier of, I don't know. Yeah. America didn't, I mean, we've been so successful epistemically. That's the part of philosophy that wants to know how we can know it. No, but really for all intents and purposes, since the industrial revolution, we've just conquered and won. And, and so uh, we've propped up a image of leader and CEO and pastor and priest and everything else where that sort of certitude pays big dividends. And you know what? Functionally it does. Uh, Melton Gladwell has a really good episode on this. Um, but you have to ask yourself what kind of organization you really want and are you going to let these less celebrated but perhaps more valuable um, ideas and truths pervade your culture so that you can at least be perceived as losing in a different way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jesus said you have to lose your life to find it. Mm-hmm. And so there are churches that do a lot of things better than us because of a commitment to a certain kind of leadership. Mm-hmm. Do you have another question? So one of the things that Angela spoke about earlier was just how, um, I feel like UBC also is, you said, Josh said it was a hospital. Angela, you said over church and under church. I feel like f- UBC is a magnet for people who have specifically been hurt by a church, the church, a pastor, a leader, a life group leader, discipleship or whatever. What have been, for people listening, who are listening to us and maybe you're going, oh, like that, that mm-hmm. is like a thorn in my side or it's triggering or it's frustrating or whatever, um, because they aren't in the room with us and they're not going to go on Sunday. What would you say to somebody who's been maybe burned by the church or hurt by the organization or a person within the organization? I'm glad you get to be honest about that hurt and take time away from the thing and that uh, it's okay if if you're not at church because that doesn't mean you can't have Jesus. Is that what you meant? Yeah. That sounds good to me. You know, I, I emailed a psychologist about the sermon this week because mm-hmm. I got to this part in the sermon where I said, here's five things forgiveness is not. And that's really where I could do some damage is when you start... Because if, again, if I try and prescribe forgiveness to people who shouldn't be forgiving or are not ready for forgiveness. And um, so I sent him a list I'd written up and he wrote back and said, yeah, I mostly agree with these and I could get behind all of them. And here's some elaboration. And uh, one of the things he talked about was he said, um, anger happens in response to an abuser because um, there's been a violation of the boundary. And anger, which most often expresses itself as hatred, is necessary both to create the initial distance the the um, survivor has from the abuser, but also to maintain that distance for a period where they can be healed and healthy and get to a point where they can then see their abuser as a more complex three-dimensional person and do some of that work of Mm -hmm. restoration and hopefully forgiving. And, but that being said um, that what struck me was this, you almost need the hatred, which that's a really taboo word within Christian faith, but you need to give people permission to have that to do something healthy for themselves. And I think that applies to church. There are so many people who just need to spend time away from church. So there are people who visited UBC, and they tell me their journey. I said, do you really think UBC is the best thing for you right now? Mm-hmm. And um, I've had some people, like, just, I think, haven't been giving permission, finally say, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. And I said, then don't come. Yeah. 
a moment of silence for everybody who needs to process what they just heard. That's good. I know. I like, don't want to say anything because I'm, I think, to Emily's point earlier about church culture, staying, if you leave, you're going to get picked off by the devil. You get out of community, you're going to be one of them sheep by the fence, and the devil going to come get you, and sorry. You know, like, it's, it's so, like, we have to do these things in order to be okay. But what if we're okay or not okay? Mm-hmm. And God is so much larger than the church we go to or whether we're angry or not or the person that hurt us that it's actually fine for us to not check off the boxes every week. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's scary for a lot of people. Sometimes God needs to talk to you by yourself not through someone else or with other people, you know, that like what you said, you, you don't have to meet Jesus at church. That's not the only place he lives. That's not the only place that you can start that healing journey. In fact, take your anger, take your hatred, take your questions, take your doubt to, to him. That's why the, I think it's so scary for people to be asked questions because they're having to ask themselves questions and they're used to being comfortable with answers being told because questions equals uncertainty or doubt unbelief yes and if man if you're doubting it's a slippery slope right right and so i think just that reminder that god can handle all of it and that it doesn't have to be found in the church now yes believe all the same things Josh that the the goal to get back to that place but that may not be you might not leave from one and go straight into the other while you're in that process of healing I think you have to go through anger like that was one of the things for me in my healing being healed of you know a divorce and then subsequently basically a divorce from a church as well was I so didn't want, I didn't want to be mad. I didn't want to be bitter because I, I knew and what I was told was if you're bitter, you can't view God right. You can't view people right. And you're going to pull away from community and all these things. And so I was pushing the bitterness down and the anger down. And finally I was like, it's choking me. It's poisoning me. And I actually have to allow myself to be mad, to have the space and to process it and go through and go, oh, wait, God's still here in the, like not surprised mm-hmm. and, and learn to forgive because I had to allow myself to feel those things and then step into forgiveness. Yeah. Otherwise I wouldn't not have been able to, to, like you said, the three dimensional, that this human being is a person and they're trying to figure it out too. And mm-hmm. I can extend forgiveness as a result. Yeah. yeah. Rather yeah. than anger, just, uh, continuing as an undercurrent mm-hmm. forever and ever and ever and ever because you never actually addressed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you one story that was very, very formative for me. Um, and I think it's along these lines. Is One of the largest fights my wife and I ever had was about who would get our kids in our will. <laughs> and um, it was the sort of fight where there wasn't any yelling. It was just sort of three days of agony and ca- talking because what does that discussion expose? It exposes what we believe about our families and our values. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as is often the case, the people have this one family seemed to be able to offer the set of worldview shaping attributes that we wanted. And one family seemed to be able to offer 
the sort of resources we hope people would have in, in raising our kids well. And, you know, it's so dumb because the chances that we're both going to die, et cetera, but you, you have to do this. And uh, we were lamenting these co- this conversation with some really close friends. And um, the, the male in this, this marriage was speaking to us, and he said, um, you know, we had the same fight, and eventually we decided to do, essentially put them with the, the people who had the resources, their kids. And he said, the reason that I finally had a piece about that is because I realized that God found me. And that um, God found me despite what I grew up in and wherever I was. And I, that was true of me too. And I think if you are a seed who has been scattered in some really bad soil, or if you've migrated to that patch yourself, the most important thing you to know is that God is going to pursue you. Mm-hmm. God will find you. That's so good. I think I personally resonate with that, just growing up in an unchurched home, but in a community where people did or didn't go to church and there was no in between. Um, you know, I think always I struggle with, is this right? Is what I'm doing right? Is this enough? Is this, um, you know, is this how you say this? Is this how you pray this? And so it was meaningful for me to be part of a church like UBC where, um, space for those questions was okay. And that there wasn't a formula you know, you didn't have to be a mom that went to Bible study and participate in the choir and make meals for people in order to get the green check or the gold star. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that God can find you anywhere. And I think with refit and why some of my questions were resonating along the lines of, you know, sacred, secular Christian music versus non-Christian music is, you know, the three of us have a deep, um, relationship yes with one another but also very formative relationship that we have encountered in our journey with God and we have found ourselves over the past 10 years truly still being in formation still Mm -hmm. walking um, in understanding of who he is and and specifically who he can be through refit and so we are as business owners often um, disappointing to people who thought Maybe they were getting more of a Christian fitness format or Christian business that they were supporting. And so it's often in those discussions that there's frustration on both sides. You know, the person that wishes that we were more Christian and us feeling like we're being called and living out our exact calling, but yet still not feeling like we measure up to a specific, the specific Christian community. And so what you said, which is, God will find you is exactly, I think, what the three of us feel. We trust him and his ultimate plan for each and every person. I don't need to be in control of that. I, I sense that when I go to UBC, you don't need to be in control of that for people either. And it is that, to use your word, humility, but also trust and faith that there's something larger at play that I'm, we may never understand, but doesn't discount the work that he's doing. And I think that is a level of uncertainty that a lot of people aren't comfortable with, mm-hmm. um, which is why there's a lot of nitpicking with, within, you know, what is Christian enough? What is being a good Christian? Is this better or worse? It's that dualistic mindset that people kind of get into. So just wanted to say thank you, Josh, for um, enlightening us, dumping new paradigms over our head. 
<laughs> and into our hearts. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for helping us love Jesus yeah. more. And maybe well, more importantly, that he actually loves us way more than we could ever love him. Yeah. I'll take it. This is so much fun to be here with you guys. You're the best. You're the best every day. Thank you guys. Also, just to uh, forecast, no, forewarn maybe instead of forecast. In a future episode, we will be talking about some more spiritual things in the form of spiritual abuse. Burr, 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 How's burr. that for a cliffhanger? <laughs> Join us next week and we will talk about spiritual abuse. We're going to do a little a series, hopefully, yeah, on we it. We are going to do a series. But anyway, thank you guys for listening. We hope that. Josh you, got really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> we hope that wherever what do you, you are. Know? <laughs> we hope that wherever you are, you find your fit in this crazy world. Please like, share, comment, and review if you want us to keep doing this. Otherwise, we will have to sell all of our equipment. So have a great day. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.